I was home for two days last week, and I was cutting grass for two days. The thistles, I am not lying, were this tall. I mean, it was a war I had on my hands. While I was at home, I was reading an article about a Canadian that has produced a a CD that will help you determine your dog's IQ. (laughs) This is how it works. If you send for the CD for 1995, your dog is smarter than you are. We, we get to talk about something this morning that is really at all of our hearts level because somewhere along the way we have been in conflict with somebody and conflict is something that at one point or another we are all going to experience and if you haven't experienced it yet today, wait a minute. Uh, because conflict is always around us, and it's one of the things that the Apostle Paul deals with. One of my favorite people was Winston Churchill, and Winston Churchill had a had a thorn in his flesh. Uh, it was uh, called Nancy Astor, uh, known as Lady Astor often. She actually was the first woman to ever become a member of the House of Commons in Britain. And uh, she did that in 1919 and uh, wasn't retired from there until 1949. And so she was there a long time. But she and Winston Churchill had a hard relationship. And one time she said to Winston Churchill, she said, if you were my husband, I would give you arsenic to drink. And Winston Churchill came back and said, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. (laughs) Another time at a party, she says to Churchill, she said, Churchill, you're drunk. Churchill said, yes, but tomorrow, he said, yes, and you're ugly, but tomorrow I'll be sober. So this conflict went on between the two of them constantly. Conflict is an issue that we all deal with. And the Apostle Paul is trying to deal with it with the Galatian church. He's trying to address the way in which he's had to speak to the Galatian church. And he's trying to address some of the issues that are going on in the Galatian church. Conflict is inevitable. And you are always going to have conflict in a church. When you put this many people together, somewhere along the way, they're not all going to believe the same thing about the same stuff. They're not going to think the same way. And as a result, a conflict rises And sometimes those conflicts are destructive for the church. And the Apostle Paul tries to deal with it. Now, I need to tell you, the Apostle Paul has been accused of being all head and no heart. 
at that point, he is, uh, he's often been seen as somebody who is theological, somebody who is intellectual, hard, severe, even considered a woman hater uh, by some, militant, aggressive, dictatorial, and dogmatic. When you look at the passage we're going to look at today, you see something happening with the Apostle Paul that changes all of that. You see the Apostle Paul becoming a tender individual. You see him becoming a person where his heart comes out rather than just his head. And as a result, he's warm and tender. He's vulnerable. He's not the theologian in this passage. He's the pastor in this passage. So let's take a look at the text and find out what he's saying. First of all, he recalls their initial hospitality for him. And he starts out by saying, I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, there's lots of views on what that means. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure there's a definitive statement. Here's what I think Paul is meaning. Paul is saying, I have been teaching you salvation through faith uh, uh, in grace. Salvation by grace through faith. And, and uh, that's what I believe. And I want you to come become as I am. He says, I have been what you are. You are depending on law to get saved. And I have been there. I understand that. So I think that's kind of what Paul is saying. Come to my side of thinking at this point is what he's saying. Uh, And then I want you to see, he says, you have done me no wrong. Now, Paul is saying there, you have not personally harmed me. I want you to understand, uh, you have not done anything to me in this misunderstanding of the gospel that you have by following some of the Judaizers, you have not offended me personally. So um, it's not personal for Paul. But you know that it was because of the bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily conditions, you did not despise or loathe. Circle those words. They're important words. The word despise is just uh, forthright. That's what the word means. The word loathe is the Greek word ekpato or ekpatao. Uh, And it literally means to spit out. So they did not spit him out when he came to them. Pitao sounds a little bit like spittoon, doesn't it? Yeah, because that's where we get the word from. And as a result, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, you did not reject me 
You did not spit me out as though I was nothing. You, you accepted me. You didn't despise me. You didn't reject me. But you received me as an angel of God. So he's saying to them, this is how you people accepted me. As an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is uh, where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now this is the passage that many theologians take to believe that Paul's physical problem was an eye problem, that he couldn't see very well, that he, uh, that he uh, uh, was going blind or maybe was mostly blind by this time. Some theologians believe it may have been the product of his being struck blind on the Damascus Road. Remember that. And so when he refers to this thorn in the flesh in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, that may be what he's talking about, this blindness thing. And he comes to the people of Galatia to preach, and he's practically blind, maybe. Uh, that, that, that's a good. This text seems to lead us in that direction. And the people, instead of saying, look, this guy can't do anything. He's half blind, and what's he going to do here? And uh, besides, he was a tent maker, and we already know that he's told us he worked while he was preaching, so he made tents while he was there as well. Who wants to buy a tent made by a half blind man? But they received him. They accepted him. You know, I can relate to that. Uh, this old fat man came into your midst, and you accepted him. You received him. And that's what Paul is saying here. You received me. And so this idea that they may have plucked out their eyes and given them to him uh, substantiates the idea that he may have been going blind. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? Uh, Paul knew how to balance rebuke with love. Paul has been, he's used some pretty hard language with these people. And now he comes along and he says, now wait a minute, folks. Uh, Understand, um, you took me in. You loved me. You sacrificed for me. You would have sacrificed more for me if you could have. You loved me and I love you. And I want you to see that they cared for the Apostle Paul. He assured them that his complaint was not personally related. He assured them that this is not an issue as to whether or not I like you or not. It's not an issue as to whether or not I love you or not. I was talking to John this morning, uh, and... uh, he said, how long have you been married? Uh, he's been married a, a, a month and a half. I said, uh, 
Well, June 20th was 52 years. I remember when we first got married, we hadn't left Alaska yet. Carolyn and I had this horrible argument. I won't tell you what it was over, because I don't want you to take sides. <laughs> when it was all over, she said to me, honey, do you still love me? And this is what I said. I said, look, let's make sure we understand each other. My love for you is never at stake. My relationship with you is never in question. I will always love you, and that can never, never go away, no matter what kind of conflict we have. Listen, here's a principle. Always keep conflict issue-related and not person-related. Always keep conflict issue-related and not person-related. See, if you and I are going to discuss an issue within our church, we, we have a right to disagree on those issues. But I cannot, I do not have a right to say you are bad because you don't agree with me on the issue. It's when we make them personal that we get into serious trouble and where the church begins to break down. Now, sometimes they're going to become personal because everybody else makes them personal. You and I cannot make them personal. You and I have to love each other no matter what. Think of Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're doing the right thing. They're doing the thing that you decreed long ago, but forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and the result is, is that we have to keep things issue-related, not person-related. Issues of doctrine. We cannot contend, condemn people because they disagree with us. Always, here's the second thing, always accept people just as they are. These people accepted Paul coming into their midst, perhaps half blind, maybe totally unable to function in some instances, and they accepted Paul anyway, showed their love for him, had him in for all kinds of things, and uh, took him in and would have sacrificed even more for him if they could have. They accepted him, uh, even with these physical difficulties. Not only did they accept him, but they changed their attitude toward him. There came a point at which this acceptance must have changed. He says, where is that sense of blessing you had? He says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Uh, he says, you first took me in as an angel, as the Lord Jesus himself, and now you seem to be rejecting me. The true servant of God does not use people to build up himself or to build up his work. We have to understand what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, I came in to preach the gospel to you 
because I loved you, because I cared about you. He loved them. He knew, he wanted them to know Christ better. He wanted them to glorify God. And uh, uh, he did not want their exclusive uh, commitment to him. Uh, Beware of a preacher who comes in and says, I'm the only one with the truth. Beware of a preacher who wants your exclusive allegiance because he will use you for a little while and then he will drop you like a hot potato. See, false teachers don't make converts, they steal them. And that's what was happening here in the Galatian church. So let's look at Paul rebukes the crafty ways of the Judaizers. He says, they eagerly seek you. Circle the words, eagerly seek you. Uh, They are a translation of one word, uh, zelao, and it's a word which means that they court you. It's a word that is used of a young man who is courting a young woman. And he says, these guys are courting you. And then he says, not commendably. They're doing a bad job of it. They're not doing it in an honorable way, the Apostle Paul says. But they wish to shut you out. Circle the word shut you out. Why do they want to shut you out? In order that you may seek them. They want your attention. They want you to follow them. And that's why they want to uh, shut you out. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. In other words, it's okay to be courted, but you need to be courted with truth. You need to be courted with, you know, I'm not exactly sure when I courted Carolyn that I courted her with truth because I hid a lot of things about myself. You all know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you've got a relationship at all, you know, you don't want the bad things to come out. And uh, my bad things didn't come out till after we were married. And I'll never forget one time she slid across the other side of the car in 1957 Ford. She slid across the other side of the car, and I could see the wheels turning. She's thinking, what have I done? And as a result, the Apostle Paul is saying, it's okay to be courted if you're courted in a commendable manner, in an honorable manner, in a truthful manner, and not only when I am present with you. So the method of the Judaizers was to shut them out. Now, what is meant by shutting them out? There's two views. The one view is that the Judaizers wanted to shut them out of their relationship with Paul, or... They wanted to shut them out of the benefits of salvation by grace. And I take the latter, and the reason that I do is that I think the context fits it, and also this word for shut them out also seems to indicate. It means to exclude them, and that means exclude them from the benefits of salvation by grace. And as a result, Paul says the method of the Judaizers was wrong. They courted them, 
in a dishonorable way. They didn't use truth. And the motive of the Judaizers was personal exploitation. They wanted the people to follow them. You know, if I was in ministry so that people would follow me, I'd be wasting my time. Uh, I only want to communicate the truth of the gospel and, and truth that will help people grow in Christ. That's what Paul wanted. Paul didn't care whether they followed him or not. Uh, and the result is, is that these guys used flattery. They used maybe threats to get these people to follow them. And, uh, and that's why that was what their motive was. Um, let's take a look at point three. Paul reacts to the Galatian fickleness. He says, my children, and Paul always viewed his converts as his children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ be formed in you. Circle the word formed. It's a, it's a good word. Uh, it's the Greek word morpho. It's a word which we use in multiple uses. It is the word that we use in metamorphosis. And it, it means that whatever the nature is on the inside ultimately comes out in beauty. And as a result, this ugly thing that twines itself up in a cocoon and ultimately comes out as a beautiful butterfly, that's what morpho means. And as a result, he is saying, there's something that has to happen inside of you. This new nature that has been put inside of you, this new love for God, this salvation through faith by grace is what needs to come out of you. And see, when we say, I went to a tennis match and the tennis player had good form. What we are saying is what was inside of him came out. Everybody could see it. And that's what the Apostle Paul means here. So as we grow, as we mature, as we are more and more sanctified, then our form gets better and we look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Morpho, formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, that I, for I am perplexed about you. So their development was Paul's concern. Their development was Paul's concern. Every Christian should demonstrate excellent form in his life. We should have the form of Jesus Christ in us. He lives there. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son. And what comes out of us ought to be that which dwells within us. And then I want you to see their diversion perplexed Paul. Uh, the word that he uses for perplex is a word that is sometimes translated embarrassed. 
It's a word which means uh, uh, you have resources, but you're at the end of your resources and you're out of resources. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm out of resources to figure out what's going on with you guys, why in the world you would follow the Judaizers. Paul regretted the severity of his language and wished to change his means of expression. So here's where I would leave you. I would say, uh, if, and we're going to serve you communion this morning, so you can begin even now starting to get your hearts ready uh, to follow Christ. I think the best way to eliminate conflict between two people is for one or both of those people to start showing Jesus more, to start showing the form, the metamorpho, or the morpho, a little more. We are to be metamorphosized into something that we were not before we became Christians. See, children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they've always been good at copying them. And I think that Mark Twain was right when he said, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. I think that one of the problems we have in the acceptance of Christianity as a whole is sometimes the lives of Christians. I heard someone say the other day, your life speaks so loud that I can't hear a word you say. And I want to read something for you that Charles Spurgeon said. He said, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his doctrine. So maybe as you take communion this morning, maybe that's a good place to start. You say, God, does my practice match my doctrine? Does my life match what I know you, how I know you want me to live? That's not, you don't do this to get saved. You're saved. You do this to walk closer to God. You do this kind of evaluation in order to be more sanctified than you were when you walked in the room. The worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song that is new to me. One of the reasons I come in when the worship team rehearses in the morning is to know where they're going, uh, but to begin my worship long before any of you get here. And, uh, and I do that. And I fell in love with this song. So I would like you to 
wrap your arms around this first song. I would like you to pay attention to the words while at the same time you're talking to God about life and doctrine, actions and doctrine, belief and, and actions. While you're doing that, while you're talking to God about the form, wrap yourself around this song because you will enjoy it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the possibility of us being something different than we were. It's not a change we make in ourselves. It's a change we know that you make. It's a change, Father, that we know comes as a result of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And as we listen and pray and sing, allow us, Father, to be prepared in these moments to take the bread and the cup to our lips and to know that we are saved through faith by grace. And we ask you, Father, to grow that truth in each of us. So bless us as we come to your table and allow us to honor you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.